coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improving Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone, give us a call right now with your home improvement project, your do-it-yourself dilemma. We are here. We are your summer home improvement helpers. It's the time to get outside, to pick up the paintbrush, pick up the hammer, pick up the saw, get to work, enjoy the day, enjoy your home. Let us help you get the jobs done. That'll help you do just that. So help yourself first by picking up the phone and calling us right now at 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Up first this hour, you know, American yards cover more than 30 million acres of lawns, which will host all sorts of foot traffic this summer, from barbecues to picnics. Don't forget about those volleyball and frisbee games. Mm -hmm. And if it's my yard, they're all happening at the same exact time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And with the right lawn care, your yard can stand up to all of that. So we're going to find out the best way to take care of your lawn, especially with this hot summer sun that beats down and we have droughts in different parts of the country. From the guy who knows how to do just that, Roger Cook, the landscaping contractor from TV's This Old House, will be by with tips in just a bit. All right. And also head this hour, you know, along with your lawn, your deck and your wood outdoor furniture, they really take quite a beating during the summer season. So we're going to tell you how to protect your outdoor wood surfaces so they can beat the heat out of the hottest part of the summer. And about right now, you've probably had it with the itching, the scratching, the burning of those mosquito bites. They are the most annoying summer pest, I think. Well, except for those kids next door, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> We're going to help you cut down on those mosquitoes in your yard with some simple advice a little later this hour. All right, and also this hour, we're giving away a Concrobium gift pack. Now, Concrobium is a great mold and mildew cleaner, so it's really going to help you out this summer season, and that's worth 56 bucks. Going to go out to one caller that reaches us with their home improvement question. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Let's get to it, Leslie. Who's first? Randy in Oregon is looking to go green and thinking about geothermal heating and cooling. What can we do for you? Well, uh, years and years ago, I had. Uh seen a house down in uh, the Central Valley of California, and it was like 110 outside. It was like 72 degrees inside the guy's house. I said, how do you do this? He took me out and showed me that that, uh, he had dug a trench about 8 feet deep, 18 inches wide, and 72 feet long, if I remember right. Yep. And it had a little upright that came up with a little top hat rain cover and some screening in it. And he'd run that into his uh, central air conditioning system, or his heating central heating system, and uh, with uh, with just a blower fan on it, and, and it kept it amazingly cool. Yeah, was he running water through those pipes, or was that a? Because it sounds like it was sort of a, a do-it-yourself geothermal system. It was. It was. He did it all himself. Yeah, well, he was a man before his time because now we have uh, much more sophisticated systems that use the same principle, which is essentially to take the uh, constant temperature of the earth and both heat and cool your house based on that and a bit of a refrigeration technology behind it. And geothermal is uh, is an excellent technology if you're in an area that... Um, that doesn't have access to natural gas, I think it's an excellent way to uh, to heat your house, and certainly it's always been a great way to cool your house. Oh, so so I could take, like my house now, we have, uh, we have central heat, but no air conditioning at all, so it would be a viable solution that I could, uh, you know, go out and dig a trench and throw in a, a corrugated uh, pipe in the ground and, and plumb it up and 
because we only, you know, here in Oregon, we don't we don't need air conditioning, but about two weeks out of the year. Well, I mean, you're sound, you sound like a very industrious guy, Randy. You certainly could uh, try it yourself, but my point is that we've got uh, very sophisticated tried-and-true systems uh, called geothermal cooling systems that work very, very well. You may want to think about buying a system that's already manufactured and installing it yourself as opposed to sort of recreating the entire thing. Randy, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Renee, in Michigan is dealing with some sump pump issues. Tell us what's going on. Well, we have a sump pump that's right underneath our kitchen, and every time it empties, we can hear it. It's not that bad, but when it shuts off, it goes boom, and it's really kind of annoying. We don't know what to do about it. Uh, we go in the basement, and the noise isn't that loud down there, right. but when we're in the kitchen, it's magnified. Yeah, it all rattles, right? Is the sump pump discharging outside, or is it discharging into the uh, waste uh, pipes inside the house? Well... I'm not real good at this. Uh, we have a water furnace, and so it it has been attached so that the water from the sump pump goes in out the same way as the water furnace water goes out. Mm. Okay. Does that mean anything? <laughs> mm. Not really, but I'm thinking it goes right to the outside. It doesn't go to your plumbing system. No. no. Okay. It doesn't. Well. I, I, part of the problem here is water hammer. It's because all the water is getting pumped out, and then it stops, and it sort of backslushes down the pipe. So one of the solutions would be to put in a check valve, which is sort of like a one-way a one-way valve on the drain line of the sump pump. So the water will go one way, and then once it gets past the valve, it can't get back again. And that can actually solve part of that problem. Okay. Pretty simple. Now, the second thing is, when does your uh, sump pump run? Is it all the time, or is it just after heavy rain? Well, see, the problem is we had a lot of water in the basement, and mm-hmm. so it, it has been running about every 20 seconds. Right, because you've had a lot of rainfall? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, because well, my point is that what you want to do is to take steps outside the house. To reduce to, that moisture and that mm-hmm. water that's getting into the house. Exactly. And it's not that difficult. You know, you can just monitor your gutters and your downspouts, make sure that they're free-flowing and that the gutters aren't overflowing. You know, clean them kind of regularly and make sure that where the downspouts deposit the water isn't right up against the foundation wall. You want it to sort of, you know, go away from the foundation three feet, six feet. If you can bury them underground and get it far away, go for it. You know, you want to look at the grading of the soil around the perimeter of the foundation and make sure that it slopes away from the house. If you can do these things to reduce the moisture, then you're going to see far less water inside because what's happening is it's raining, the water's sitting right there against the foundation from all of those factors, and then it comes right up in through the basement. Renee, thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Well, we are in full swing of the summer season, so if you've got any home improvement projects that you need a hand tackling, we are here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at one eight 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 Money Pit. 888-666-3974. Up next, would you like to take the bite out of your backyard barbecues? We've got advice to help create a no-skeeter zone in your outdoor space, and that's all coming up. After this, on the Money Pit Radio Show. The Money Pit is brought to you by Thermatrue Doors, the nation's leading manufacturer of fiberglass entry and patio door systems. Thermatrue Doors are Energy Star qualified and provide four times the insulation of a wood door. To learn more, visit thermatrue.com. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. 
Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Call us right now with your home improvement question. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit. If you do, you might just win the Concrobium gift pack. Gonna go out to one caller. This includes the thirty two ounce spray bottle and the gallon jug of Concrobium mold control. It's an EPA registered solution that eliminates mold and keeps it from coming back without bleach, ammonia, or VOCs. Gonna go out to one caller that reaches us with their home improvement question at 888-MONEY-PIT. All right, that's a great prize and perfect for the summer season. Now, another thing that we start dealing with in the summertime is getting bitten by those mosquitoes. And we all know how quickly that can actually spoil your outdoor summer fun. Now, mosquitoes, they can go beyond bugging you to actually spreading some serious, dangerous diseases. But if you know a bit about them, mosquitoes themselves, avoiding them is actually not that difficult. First of all, those mosquitoes, they actually only need two things to breed standing water, and a couple of days. Now, if you've got gutters and they get clogged with debris, that's going to allow stagnant water to sort of form the perfect landing zones for those mosquitoes to nest, lay their eggs, do what they do best, which is just make more mosquitoes and then harass you. So you'll want to make sure that you clean those gutters several times a year or go ahead and install those leaf guards, and that'll keep your gutters dry and free-flowing. Now, good point. Another thing you want to do is check your yard for anything that holds water. Now, we're not talking about the big water feature, the big waterfall, whatever you built lately to to spruce up the landscaping. No, we're talking about the tiny things that you forget about, the empty flower pots, the buckets, the jars, the wheelbarrows, the kids' toys, the old tires. If you have any of those things, you want to be careful because it only takes about seven days, as Leslie said, for those mosquitoes to lay the eggs and come out abiding. Now, if you've got trash cans or recycling buckets that you keep outside, good idea to drill some holes in the bottoms of those. And check kids' stuff like wading pools and sandboxes, making sure that any items covered by those plastic tarps are not becoming water catchers. The easiest way to avoid mosquitoes is simply, though, to stay inside at dusk and dawn. You know, I discovered when I researched this topic several years ago that there really is sort of a biting hour or two of the day. And And what time is that? Well, it depends, but you'll kind of know it if you're out during it. But mm-hmm. seriously, if you go inside for that hour or so and you come back out, they're not nearly as bad as they were. And it's because they just get all get hungry at the same time. I know. So for us, it's around like 4 o'clock. And so we just avoid the yard at that time. Yeah. I think it's a little later for us, more like around around 6 because maybe because it always seems to coincide with eating dinner outside. <laughs> the best time. <laughs> we have like a zone around our house, you know, with citronella candles, <laughs> things like that. Just short of being in a bubble. Right. Like you could land a helicopter around my dining room table. There's so many candles. <laughs> But, you know, whatever you do, you want to make sure that you don't invite them. You know, you can't control what's in the neighborhood, but you can control what's in your own yard. So don't let that water puddle up, folks. And if you want some more tips on the step-by-step of uh, things that you can do in your own yard, uh, visit MoneyPit.com or Google Money Pit Mosquito Proof, and our articles on those topics will pop right up for you. Pete in Colorado is under attack by woodpeckers. Tell us what's going on. <laughs> Yep, we've got a wood-sided house, and it's beautiful, except that every spring, the woodpeckers show up, and in about 15 minutes max, they can drill a hole three or four inches diameter in the side of the house. Wow. 
And I would love a way to get rid of them and uh, a slight extra complication if you're thinking of extreme measures. My wife is a naturalist and she wouldn't <laughs> want to be too upset. So probably no yeah. 22s. Yeah, so weapons are out of the question. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there's an option, Pete. Um, and, and that is uh, one thing that actually works very, very well is if you can attach something that ref- it's very reflective to the siding and even have it blowing in the wind, like a couple of tin pie plates works really well. Hang it from the, from the fascia or the soffit in that area when the, when the uh, woodpeckers decide to come and uh, nest, and that usually really freaks them out and sends them to the neighbor's house. How far apart would you place them? <clears throat> I don't. I well, well, how wide's your house? Like thirty feet, maybe. Uh, thirty feet wide and a hundred feet long. And do they attack the hundred foot side as well? Oh yeah. Yeah, I maybe ever ten feet. Okay. Give it a shot. Try one side of the house and see if it see if they stay off that side. You'll know you have a solution. <laughs> and it's you just the take other. it down when it gets a little warmer and they and they uh, are not so into uh, searching for bugs behind your siding. Oh, yeah. Well, they mostly do it in order to attract a mate. So once they've taken care of that, we're done. <laughs> Tell them you'll build them a house. They'll leave yeah, yours really. alone. <laughs> Pete, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Now we're going to take a call from Oregon with Deborah, who's dealing with a flooring issue in the bath. How can we help? My uh, bathroom uh, had a problem. Uh, my uh, There was a leak, and the particle board flooring uh, overlayment uh, rotted away, so I'm attempting to do it myself. Uh, what I'd like to know is what type of overlayment should I be using and how thick? I think you mean underlayment. Okay, underlayment. <laughs> yeah, there's two... Hey, some uh, people call it over, some people call it under. It's a floor, <laughs> one way or the other. Yes, well, I'm, is the leak under the toilet, is that what happened? Yes, and every, okay. the wood uh, rotted away. And, right, so uh, here's what you have to do. First of all, obviously, you have to remove the toilet. Right. Secondly, you're going to... Now, what kind of a sink do you have in there? Is there a vanity that's going to be near the toilet? Yes. Well, the best thing to do, believe it or not, will be to remove that as well, because what has to happen, you have to cut out that rotted floor. And if you're going to... Is this only one layer of subfloor here? Is it an older house? You have multiple layers, because if you're going to cut through the floor joists, you have to cut something wide enough where it goes beam to beam. Do you follow me on that? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, uh, someone did repair that portion of it. Okay. Uh, so uh, that part uh, has been done, but now okay. I'm going to do the that other layer that's on top of it. Do you have anything else that you have to match to it? Is it halfway there in some other part of the bathroom, or has the entire floor been replaced? Yes, it just uh, the part around the toilet, oh, there's been like a couple of feet, two feet, two and a half feet. Okay, well, what you have to do here is you have to see what was there... Uh, before, because you have to match the thickness, there are different types of underlayment materials. Sometimes there's plywood, like Luan plywood. Sometimes there's a wafer OSB. board. OSB. So you need to figure out what was there before and match the height. And then what kind of finished floor are you going to put in? Uh, I'm going to put a linoleum down. Okay, that's one option. Another one that might be easier is laminate floor, because laminate floor is going to be more forgiving of, of the unevenness of that repair job. And laminate floor can be installed pretty easily by yourself because all the pieces are locked together. They all snap together today. Yeah, if you go linoleum, because it's a sheet product, it's going to sort of rest into areas where the floor, the under, the underlayment is uneven, and you're going to notice a lot of those dips and dives. 
Yeah, I'm going to replace the entire thing because it was particle board and the, the water spread out quite a bit. I think that you'll find that the laminate floor is the best way to go because it's a very sturdy floor. Plus, it comes in just hundreds of different patterns. You can have one that has a pattern similar to a vinyl floor, or you can go something that may represent a, a wood floor, and it'll be permanent, it'll be moisture-proof, and it'll look great. Okay. About the fixture, the toilet fixture, how do I get underneath that uh, lip that's there? Underneath the, the lips that there? Well, if once you put the new subfloor in, then you're going to make sure you raise the pipe so that it's flush with the finished floor. And that's a plumbing project. And you'll use a new wax seal between the drain and the toilet. Okay, and it has to be flush? Yes, uh, well, fairly close. If it's not flush, you may have leaking issues. Tom in Virginia is looking for some help with a generator. What can we do for you? Well, I was just wondering if there are any alternatives to the uh, generators that are run by uh, diesel fuel that uh, you can get a hold of. Um, the, the electric companies, uh, they have their plans, but I was wondering if there's anything else out there. Well, absolutely. In fact, uh, my house is run by a Generac standby generator, and I've used it twice today <laughs> since we had some storms that rolled through um, the house. And it's great because my Generac is powered by natural gas. So I never have to worry about fuel for it. It's just hooked up to the gas pipe. And uh, it comes on within about 15 seconds of losing power. And then it repowers about half the house. That's how we have it set up. And so you can use a natural gas standby generator. And the prices have come way down on them. And I tell you what, there's a lot of security to having a standby generator because you don't have to worry about losing food and losing your heating system and, and things like that and not losing lights on a dark, stormy night. So I, I really believe in standby generators. I think everyone should have one. I'm glad to see the, the prices are coming down. You might want to take a look at the Generac website at neverfeelpowerless.com. There's a lot of information about standbys there, also ways that you can calculate the size that you need. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, the last time we had a hurricane come through there, people thought my house was possessed because we had power. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, the neighbors will come uh, come down the street with their milk and eggs to uh, borrow and put in your refrigerator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had, for three days, we had breakfast at my house. There you go. <laughs> All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Still to come, expert tips on how you can create a really lush lawn so that you can have that gorgeous yard all summer long. So stick around. The Money Pit is brought to you by Flood. Founded in 1841 by a family of painters, Flood is the wood care specialist, so you don't have to be. Flood offers a full line of exterior wood stains and cleaners to protect, preserve, and beautify your investment to protect, preserve, and beautify your investment. Visit Flood.com for more information. On the Money Pit Radio Show Pick up the telephone Fix up your home sweet home By calling 888-MONEY-PIT The Money Pit is brought to you by Bostitch. Professional quality hand tools, pneumatic and cordless nailers and staplers. 
Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. If you love using your backyard pool and hate the idea of closing it up for the winter, you can learn how to use it a little longer with solar heat. We've got tips on how to do just that uh, on MoneyPit.com. Simply Google Money Pit Pool Solar Heat to learn more. Mark in Texas is looking for a way to fill in a pool and get his yard back. What can we do for you? I've got a metal wall pool with a vinyl bottom. and. Okay. It, when we bought the house, we had no desire to have a pool. Uh, the water stays about three feet deep. If, if I drain it the next day, it's back. Huh. And um, okay. so what we're going to do is jackhammer up all the concrete around it, fill right. it in, and then about four foot of dirt on top of that and right. get a yard back. But I'm afraid that the, um, the septic everywhere is it's what's causing the water to come back all the time. Hmm. Well, why don't you do a dye test? What you can do is you can add septic dye to a sink or a toilet inside your house, and it only takes a little bit. You can probably even order some tablets online, and it's a very, very bright green, almost fluorescent-looking dye. And then you run the water, and if you see that dye show up in the pool, then you know you got a serious problem. And, of course, now we know why you're not swimming in that pool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, at first I was kind of sad that you wanted to fill in the pool. Now I'm like, yeah, I'm not now coming over. Now it's a really good idea. <laughs> well, see, we're, we're kind of at the bottom of a hill, so everybody's septic, I think, is running down underneath my yard, probably about, I don't know, eight feet down. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. The septic should be draining in each individual yard. Now, you know, it may feel that way, but that's not the case. What I'm concerned about is if your septic is, in fact, draining into that pool area, there could be a problem with the septic, too. But once we've convinced, once you've convinced yourself that the septic is not contributing to the water, it could just be water table. Um, then I think your plan is fine. Just be very, very careful. Especially the more you take apart, the, da- the more dangerous that area gets. Are you talking about collapsing or? Yeah, collapsing. Sure, it could collapse in on you. So you got to be very, very careful because uh, you know you're pretty much taking away the structure as you tear that out. And then I think filling it with clean fill dirt is fine, and doing it in layers and tamping it as you go. That's going to be important because it's going to settle. And, you know, you want to make sure it ends up nice and uh, flush with a decent grade when you're all said and done. And, and doing it now is probably a good idea because the fall is the best time to plant a new lawn. Oh, okay. Very good. So uh, just uh, the dye and make sure it's not my septic. And if it is, then I'm, I've got bigger problems than an old man. Now, then we've got to tackle getting that fixed. Okay, Mark? Okay. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Now we know why nobody wants to go to Mark's house to swim. Yeah, right? <laughs> hey, you guys want to take a dip in my poo? Oh, you forgot the L. No, I meant it. Well, American Homes boasts more than 30 million acres of lawns, which will play host to countless barbecues, picnics, and Frisbee games in the coming months. And with proper care, your lawn can look great all summer long, despite endless hours of barefoot traffic and blazing sun. To find out how to do just that, we welcome this old house landscaping expert, Roger Cook, with tips to make sure the grass stays green before, during, and after the summer rush. Hey, Roger, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Now, a lush green lawn just adds tons of curb appeal doesn't it? Curb appeal and just feeling good about your house. <laughs> it certainly is a sense of pride. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, we've had summers where we've had drought and we've had all kinds of issues that really affect. It seems like your lawn is constantly under battle, not only from nature, but also from the foot traffic. So what's the best way to make sure you always have a lush lawn? The most important thing you can do is a soil test on your lawn. 
because that is going to tell you what's happening with the lawn, what you need to add, and in what proportion. Now, is that something you have to do more than once? Did the conditions change over the years? They change, but usually if you do it once every two or three years, you'll be on top of what's happening. Now, do they change because of things that you're putting into the soil, or is that just a natural process? Natural process and what you're putting in. You want to make sure that everything's in balance, and some of that's from the natural ingredients in the soil and some from the stuff that you're introducing. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about fertilization because that's something that sometimes it almost feels like you have to be a chemist to get right. Are there easy ways to figure out what fertilizer you need? There's a certain amount of nitrogen that your lawn needs to grow properly, and that's three to four pounds per growing season. Okay. The biggest problem we have is we put too much nitrogen on and we force that lawn to grow very, very quickly. In the spring, the lawn's going to green up and grow, so you don't need an early application. If you, you do your first application mid-spring, That'll keep you going. You know what it's like, Tom. You go to cut the lawn, it's six inches long. Yep. We don't want to do that. No, we, we want don't. it to grow at a moderate pace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what about other things? I've always heard that calcium, the content, is really sort of important to the weed growth. Is there a way to sort of keep that in balance to minimize our weeds? It'll show up in your test that you get, and they know that about 90% of the weeds can be controlled by the amount of calcium in mm-hmm. your soil. Now, are there additives that you want to put on the lawn every year, like organic matter or uh, you know, uh, compost, that sort of thing? Is it important to add that every year, even after your lawn seems to be established? It depends on the texture of the soil, and that comes from your soil test. Is there something bad about adding too much compost to the soil? Not that I know of. But what we do is we will actually aerate the soil and then put the compost on so it goes down two or three or four inches into the ground. Now, that's a good point. You talked about aeration, and how often do you have to do that? Is that where the landscaper comes through with the machine that sort of drills little holes in the lawn? Exactly. And I would do that once a year. There's no chemicals involved. It's simply a physical operation. You can rent the machines to do it yourself. It doesn't take very long to do. So the best bet is to split it with a neighbor or two or three neighbors and lower the cost. That's a really good point. Everybody toss a little money in the the lawn care basket and you can go out and get a bunch of lawns done at once. We'll have an aeration pot. (laughs) But you have to divide the work evenly. One (laughs) neighbor is not doing everybody's property, correct? (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I get conned into doing everyone's property. I can imagine. It's what you do for a living. It's why our neighbors ask us all sorts of home improvement questions. Mm-hmm. So, Roger, what happens if the summer season you know, brings a lack of rain and you find that there's a drought? You know, How do you keep the lawn in good shape? Yeah, we run into that situation where towns put on mandatory water bins, and that's no outside watering at all. So you can't water the lawn. It goes dormant, and that's when it's its way of making it through the drought season. In the fall, when it gets cool or moisture comes, the lawn will green up and grow again. But don't try to water the lawn and bring it out of dormancy. Let it come out naturally. But the biggest thing is to stay off the lawn when it's in that dormant state because you can really do damage to the lawn. Great advice. Roger Cook from TV's This Old House. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And for more tips just like that, you can visit thisoldhouse.com. And you can watch Roger and the entire This Old House team on This Old House and Ask This Old House on your local PBS station. And Ask This Old House is brought to you by the National Association of Realtors. Still ahead, we've got tips on how you can protect your outdoor wood surfaces from the summer weather. That's coming up after this. You live in a body pit. This segment of the Money Pit is brought to you by The Home Depot. Upgrade to a Philips 12.5-watt LED light bulb that lasts 25 times longer than a 60-watt incandescent bulb. 
More saving, more doing. That's the power of the Home Depot. Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you should pick up the phone and give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT because one caller that we talked to on the air this hour is going to win a perfect prize pack for this time of year. We've got the Concrobium gift pack up for grabs. And that includes a 32-ounce spray bottle and gallon jug of the Concrobium mold control. Now, what's really cool about this, it's an EPA-registered solution that eliminates mold and it keeps it from coming back and it's totally green. There's no bleach, there's no ammonia, there's no VOCs. It's perfect for cleaning all of those outdoor surfaces like your deck, your patio, siding, windowsills, whatever you see that mold and mildew growth on, it's going to do the job. It's a prize worth 56 bucks. So give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT for your chance to win and help with your home improvement project. 888-666-3974. Well, now that we are several weeks into summer and that hot sun has been beating down on your home for, what, a good month or so now, mm-hmm. it is a very good time to check your exterior woodwork. Now, the experts at Flood tell us that it can really take a beating this time of year because of all that UV deterioration, all those UV rays from the sun that can really dry it out. And if you find that it needs a little love, perhaps it's fading, it's cracking, or it's peeling, Flood does have a full line of exterior wood stains and cleaners that can protect, preserve, and beautify your investment. Mm -hmm. Now, the Flood Company, they've been helping homeowners keep their outdoor wood surfaces looking great for over a 100 years. So they've got the experience. They were founded in 1841 by a family of painters, and Flood is the wood care specialist. So you don't have to be. Only Flood products contain Penetrol and Emulsabond, which allows the product, whichever one you select, to really penetrate and then adhere to the wood surfaces. Now, when it comes to those surfaces, you guys, you got to remember, Remember that prepping those surfaces that you're going to work on is really the most important step to any painting, staining, whatever kind of project you're taking on for a finish, because it's really going to determine whether that paint or stain is going to stick or just wear away immediately and you'll have to do it all again. So you want to make sure that you remove dirt, grime, contaminants, prior stains, sealers on your wood deck, your siding or your fencing, and that's going to really ensure that you have a flawless finish and a project that you don't need to take on again for five years, ten years, whatever it might be, depending on the surface. So to learn which product is best for your project or to even get step-by-step project instructions, check out their website. It's flood.com. You'll get a lot of help there. 888-MONEYPIT is our phone number, and that number will deliver help to you at as well. Leslie, who's next? Juan in South Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I want to ask you a question about elastomeric uh, roof paint. Right. Uh, I come from Miami. Right. And one of the things that I have done in the past in Miami to seal the tiles on, on, the, on the roof is to coat it with elastomeric paint. That not only seals the uh, the roof, but uh, creates a um, a rubber barrier that make basically makes you know the roof last almost indefinitely. Now my question is, why would it not work here in 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 South Carolina in uh, regular shingles? Well, you have hard tile shingles in Miami, correct? Well, yes, I was talking about, um, you know, um, 
ceramic. Right, uh, right. ceramic or clay. Right, okay. And in South Carolina, you have asphalt shingles? Yeah. Well, it's not designed to bind to asphalt shingles the way it may have bound to the uh, ceramic tiles that you had uh, in Miami. I will say, though, that with an asphalt product, there is a type of paint called fibrous aluminum paint, which is a silver paint, very commonly used on flat roofs or low-slope roofs where you have built-up tar, because what that does is that actually uh, makes the roof last longer because it forces the sunlight to reflect off of it more so than absorb into it. And with less UV uh, radiation getting to it, it, the asphalt stays moist longer, doesn't crack, doesn't dry out, and, and hence you can go many more years without having to replace your roof. So I wouldn't use an elastomeric paint one, but I would consider using fibrous aluminum. Now, if the, if the roof is very visible, you wouldn't do that because uh, in that case, it's going to look, you know, silver like a spaceship, <laughs> you know, and not uh, not very attractive. But if it's a, in the back of the house or it's low slope, you can't see it very well, um, you could use fibrous aluminum paint and that will extend its life. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Up next, making a basement into a finished space can add value to your home. But before you dive into that project, you want to make sure you follow all of the rules and the regulations set out by your town, your municipality, wherever. If you don't, you could have a nasty surprise when it comes time to sell that house. We'll give you tips on how to handle that situation after this. is brought to you by skill and now you can easily cut through the most difficult projects with ease with a power cutter from skill with powerful lithium-ion technology and an auto sharp blade system skills lightweight power cutter will soon become your favorite tool too the skill power cutter it cuts just about anything Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we would be very pleased, privileged, and honored if you would visit us online at Facebook and Twitter, both those sites accessible from MoneyPit.com. If you sign up, you will be the first to know when we head into the studio and give them the inside hotline, the special access pass to ask us your home improvement question. And you can get to those sites from our site at MoneyPit.com. All right. And while you're online, you can check out the community section. Lots of great postings there from you guys, what you're working on. You're commenting on everybody's projects. We'd love to give you a hand with that. And you can also post questions if you just don't know what the heck to do with an upcoming project. And I've got one here that Jennifer from Illinois posted. And she writes, my husband and I are getting ready to finish our basement in the fall. And we want to understand the pros and cons of pulling permits, assuming that all of the work we do will be up to village code. Specifically, if we don't pull permits, what might happen if we decide to sell our house down the road? Huh. We were told by a realtor friend that we could be fined and we would have to rip out all of the uninspected work. But of course, if we do pull permits, we know that our property tax is going to increase. Can you help us understand how the assessment process works? Well, good questions, Jennifer. Certainly understand uh, you trying to analyze this, but let me just say first that the inspection process can be very helpful to you. The municipal inspectors, uh, especially um are very helpful in terms of identifying things that you may do or if you end up using a contractor that you may have your contractor do that may not be safe. So it's important to have that extra set of talented eyes looking over the work. In terms of the assessments, 
sure. Is it possible that your home value, well, your home value certainly would go up if you had a finished basement. Would your assessment go up? Well, considering the fact that assessments are only done every, every several years, it's not like it's going to happen instantly or even uh, go back retroactively. And if it does go up, I don't think the way most homes are assessed that it's going to go up all that much. I don't think I would get too overly concerned about that, I would be more concerned with making sure it's done once, done right, done safely. Uh, and as far as your realtor is concerned, you know she have, may have had this experience. Sometimes when you go to sell your house, uh, the the town will require a CO for the new owners can take uh, can take occupancy, and that triggers an inspection. Mm-hmm. They find out that you did all this work and you didn't get a permit. Well, that could get you in, in, in big trouble. Will they make you well, rip it out? I don't know. I think that's a yeah. bit extreme. I know of, you know, I work with different contracting firms locally as a decorator or a designer, and I get hired on specific projects, and we yeah. were working on an old Tudor home in Queens that the same family had occupied for a a gajillion years they had a finished bathroom in the attic that they made a bedroom which apparently was never permitted they came in to start inspecting the additions that were going on saw Uh this bath made them rip it out made them totally rip it out completely rip it out have it reinspected seal off all the plumbing Mm. and then of course you know i'm sure it went back in afterwards but Mm. that's what happens and you don't want to have those additional expenses i guess it's possible it depends on uh, where you uh, live in the country and uh, how uh, angry your municipal inspectors are in Mm -hmm. in not having given the opportunity to uh, to do those inspections i mean realistically do you have to rip something completely out before you can inspect it not really i mean you could you could take out enough so that it could be inspected or Mm -hmm. areas that that were not accessible could be inspected. But I guess the point is they could make it your life difficult. Yeah, so and you don't I want think, that. I think for all those reasons, you really should just get a permit and uh, be done with it. Do it once, do it right, don't do it again. Uh, maintain your house value, increase your house value, and don't have any hassles when it comes time to sell your house. All right, Jennifer, enjoy that extra space. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. The show continues online 24-7 at moneypit.com. And you can also pick up the phone and call us any time of the day or night at 888-MONEYPIT. If we are not in the studio, we will call you back the next time we are. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.